0: The following is a paid
1: program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of 1500 ESPN. The following is a presentation of financial crisis recovery. Foreclosure, short sales, bankruptcy, credit card debt, job loss, depreciating home values, money management. Peace of mind when it comes to your finances seems completely out of reach under current conditions. But there is a way to achieve it. For the next 60 minutes, you're going to find out how to cover your assets. Cover your assets. Now, here's nationally renowned speaker and expert on getting you on the path to financial strength, Todd Rooker.
2: Hey, hey, how are you, everybody? Hopefully Mike and Jason got you all warmed up with their talk on real estate. Where we can continue some of that always. Uh uh, I was, uh, I was just contracted by two different clients this last week, uh, to do, to help with wills, trusts, estate planning and things like that. Now I will be clear. I'm not an estate planning attorney. I work with some great ones and I've done this stuff for years and years and years. So in, in some cases I will draft the documents and then, uh, forward them to our attorneys to, uh, make certain that I've not missed anything and then they'll cover everything and, uh, Contract them to complete the process, but I I am pretty adept at these things. I'm again not an a an estate planning attorney, but it it is a it is an interesting thing. Uh, the number of people who talk about uh, wills and trusts as though there's virtually no difference between the two, and why would anybody pay any money to do this? And this really falls into my whole adage about about people being uh, thrifty to a fault, wherein they will walk over, as I say, walk over a dollar to save a nickel and then cost themselves tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process because they know just enough to be dangerous because they read some article on the internet that 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 provided them with enough confidence to think they could do it on their own and these are i mean these are just colossal mistakes that people make uh, and I'm not going to get into all of that now, but, uh, I am going to take off on some of what Mike and Jason were talking about. As you were listening, if you did listen to the, to the tail end of their show, you heard them talking about what they expect to happen with interest rates. And as rates are going up, now we started talking about this at the beginning of the year because already by the beginning of the year there, there were, uh, inklings of, of rates increasing. And I mean, look, man, we all knew it was going to come. But you know, if you're a young person, who has grown up with interest rates that are in the 3% and 4% range, you've come to believe that that's the norm because in, in your life, it has been the norm. And I, I understand that. But, you know, as Mike says regularly, average rates typically hover between 6 and 8% if you go back a reasonable amount of time. You know, so you go back the last 50 years, average is somewhere between 6 and 8%. Well, (laughs) that is a dramatic difference in a payment of whatever home purchase you're making. Because remember that every percentage point is applied to the total mortgage balance that you're trying to finance. So if you're going to finance a $300,000 loan, one percentage point is $3,000. Now, Really, if you're going to do a thirty-year mortgage, I'm just going to tell you that the way you the way you calculate that number, and I I mean I'm just trying to make the point between you know three point five percent, 4.5%, 5.5%, four point five, five point five, six point five, which you know every one of these increments doesn't sound significant until you really recognize what they are. So when you take three thousand, that that one percent of the principal balance. So if the interest rate that 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 you're going to you're going to finance your home at goes up by 1% based on whatever amount you're financing. And I use the number of 300,000. Maybe that seems excessive to some of you and I should be using 200. Maybe for others of you, you say, oh, come on, you know, we've got four or 500,000. Whatever, just stick with that. You then take that number. This is based on a 30-year fix times 0.70, okay? That's $2,100. You then divide that number by 12 and that says your payment's gonna go up 175 bucks a month. Now, that's based on 1%. And that would be the difference, let's say, between some of the best rates, 3.25, 3.5, 3.75, which are now quite a bit higher and in short order uh, will, will be, you know, over five and probably right back in that six to eight percent range. Well. That we could be easily talking about three full percentage points worth of difference. So now we take that 175 times three and the payment is $525 more per month just based on the increased cost of debt service. That is to say your interest rate, how you are servicing the debt or, or keeping it at bay. So, and, and by the way, that is for the life of the loan. That is for the life of the loan. So, if you, if you understand how mortgage finance works, And they talk about it frequently, but of course they don't want to introduce too much, much complexity. And that's what I love to do. (laughs) So I'm not going to go too far off the deep end, but you start with a, with an income to payment ratio and then you overlay it with the debt that they consider to be long term debt. And if that number doesn't exceed a certain threshold, which you heard them talking, you know, 50% or less, which really we're probably looking at somewhere in the range of 41 43, 45% overall. So you start with your income, whatever your gross income is. And by the way, remember something. Gross income is not what you take home. That's not the money you get paid in your paycheck. And you know, I, I don't I don't know what to say because the number of people I encounter who don't really understand, oh, is that is that take home or what was gross again? Which one is that? Oh, come on, man. Come on. Are you so brain dead that you don't even know these things? Well, because it doesn't affect people's lives. All they do is they get their money transferred into their account and then they pay their bills and they don't concern themselves with anything else. And frankly, forgive me, guys but how is one to really succeed financially in any strategic manner? Meaning you're planning and you're, 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 you know, uh, strategizing as to how you're going to succeed and what you're going to do with your money. How are you going to succeed when you don't even know these basic things? You don't even concern yourself with it. Why is it, is it too depressing that you can't look at it? <laughs> uh, so gross income is not what you get to in take home. So when someone says 30 or 40 or 50% of gross, you need to recognize that the percentage of take home pay that represents is much, much higher. Because the gross income ratio, if it's 30%, remember that your gross income, is affected by your standard withholdings, and those are of course state and, and or uh, federal and local taxes. It's social security income tax, it's FICA tax, and then you have other withholdings that come out of your check, like maybe a portion for to pay for your health insurance if your company doesn't pay for all of it, or maybe you're paying for one of your 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 family members, your spouse, your children, a family plan that's being withdrawn from your check. Then maybe your Funding uh, your retirement account, maybe you're doing the 3% match, maybe you're doing more. All of that's coming out of the check, and that's not considered. That's not a part of that formula. So when you take the amount of money, 30, 40, 50% of your gross income, and then you subtract out those standard withholdings from your paycheck, you understand that very easily the, that 30, 40, 50% can easily equate to 40, 50, 60% and more of your actual take home pay. And, and let's get real. Do most people think, think about that? Do most people know that? Or do they just go to the mortgage broker or the banker and say, well, gee, honey, I mean, you know, that's how you qualify, right? How much house can we buy? And, 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 you know, they're protecting us, right? They, they wouldn't put us into too much house. They wouldn't give us a payment we can't afford to make, right? (laughs) Hey, no offense, but they're in the business of selling loans. And there's nothing wrong with that. If I made my living doing that, I would do the same thing. But you are expected as a consumer to know enough about your personal finances to recognize these things. And I'm here to tell you, most people don't. They're oblivious to it. Half the time, people don't even know what the freaking payment is going to be until the week before they close. Or God forbid, the day they're sitting at the closing table and they see it on the paperwork. Unfreaking believable. So, you know, when you, when you consider what it takes to qualify, income to payment ratio is where you start. All right. So maybe that's 30%. Maybe that's 31%. Maybe that's 35% income to payment ratio as a maximum. Then you take debt to income ratio, which is. All only going to be considered uh, considering long-term debt typically. So long-term debt is any debt when making the minimum payment. So you might have a credit card that you're paying more than the minimum payment and it will be extinguished in nine months if you continue to do what you're doing. However, it will not be looked at in that way when you're qualifying for a mortgage. It will be looked as though if you continue to make the minimum payments only, how long will it take you to pay this thing off? And this is not things like utilities. And it's not the cell phone, it's not your insurance, it's not your groceries, it's not your gasoline, none of that is included in there, which does, again, also doesn't have anything to do with the number of dependents that you have, something that too many people believe is gonna, is gonna be a part of the formula, which it's not. And so when they take the, the long-term debt, which is considered any payment with, when making the minimum payment that will take you 11 months or more to pay off, anything that will take you 11 months or more is going to con- be considered long-term debt. That then is, con- is calculated against your gross income as well. And generally speaking, that number, grand total, should not exceed 10% or not much more than 10%. So now if we start with a 31% ratio, we can't exceed 41%, including not only the new house payment that you want, which will include principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, but also all long-term debt, 11 months or more to pay off, and assuming that that total amount of 41%, 31% plus, 10% equals a grand total of 41% or 43% or 45%, depending on the, if it's an FHA or a conventional loan. And obviously there's all different, many, many, many loan programs, even within one lending institution. So what happens if I do exceed that ratio that the, that that particular mortgage program allows? Well, then it directly affects my capacity to be able to purchase a home. Meaning that if I started off with a 31% ratio and I right off the bat said, okay, look, man, Um, uh, my wife and I are both going to be on the loan, which, by the way, is a terrible idea. (laughs) But for for now, knowing that most of you, that's what you do, and you're conditioned to do that, again, a colossal mistake, we just take $100,000 times .31, and that's $31,000. We divide that number by 12, and that means that you can qualify for a payment of $2,583 per month And that will include principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. And if there's an association due, that'll probably be thrown in there as well. So that's the max you can qualify for. Now we already know that 10% more of $100,000 is 10 grand. So if you take the $10,000 and you divide that number by 12, if your other payments, your car payment, your credit card payments, your student loan payments exceed $833 per month, which is the 10,000 divided by 12, then that means that for every dollar you're over that, you're taking away from the ability to qualify for a mortgage that 25. Hundred some odd dollars. That's exactly how it works. Now, remember that when interest rates go up, it affects that number dramatically, dramatically. And the other thing that Mike and I were talking about before he walked out of the out of the studio is that I said, "Look, not only is that problematic, but you know, in an environment when you've got three point five percent interest rates, if you have less than perfect credit." I of that. Less than perfect credit. Like, you know, it's so forgivable and it's okay. Well, lenders don't look at it that way, but whatever. Um, if you have less than perfect credit, then the spread between you know, good financing, A-plus borrower, uh, which in this environment with a conventional loan is probably a 740, 750 mid-credit score. You pull all three credit scores, you throw out the high and the low, and you take the mid-score out of the three bureaus, TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax. Well, that's, that's prime financing. Well, you know, when you get into an A-minus, borrower, which is still not subprime, but still reasonably good. There's a little bit of difference, hardly any, not a big deal in an environment where the, where the best interest rates are, you know, three and, you know, three and a half and 4%. And subprime, I mean, how bad, how bad can it be when it's going to be a percentage of, of that small number? However, when you get into an environment where you've got interest rates that are running at five, six, seven, eight percent for the A plus borrowers, the subprime borrowers can be paying two points three points and even four points more, four full percentage points more to get a loan on the same home. And I just described how much more monthly that's going to cost. Now, Mike chuckled when I said that because he said, yeah, Todd, but the number of people who can actually get through the process of qualifying for a subprime loan because the qualification has become so challenging is few and far between, (laughs) which means that you're really Screwed <laughs> if if you if you don't qualify for an FHA or you are uh, in in an environment where you know you you uh, have to get a conventional loan and they're really going to hammer you with that higher interest rate. You may not be able to get a loan at all, and if you are, if you do, you're probably not going to qualify for the house you want to buy anyway. So why is this a big deal? Well, I mean, it's a big deal. Um, why is it? Because I talk a lot about investment real estate. And so if you have that going on with your single family home, and I know that, you know, for most people, that's as far as they're ever going to go. And part of the reason is that that they just dream of owning their own home someday and they can't see any farther. And that's a travesty because, you know, the, the reality is financial success in America is much more limited by your ability to, to see yourself succeeding at higher levels than it is within the realities of life. In other words, most of the people who don't, who, who, who succeed to whatever level, the reason they don't go farther isn't because the system won't allow it. They believe that, the, that it's the system that's holding them back because you know, everybody, nobody blames themselves for anything, but it's not true. <laughs> the reality is that it's more self-imposed than it is system imposed. That's the truth. So, My point is that I do work with people who want to own investment real estate. And so if this is an important uh, consideration as it relates to your individual single family home that you live in, imagine the impact that it has when you go to buy investment real estate and you're trying to make that real estate cash flow. You're trying to get to the break-even point. You're trying to accumulate assets and not have to pull money out of your pocket every month to support and subsidize a losing position within real estate. Wow. Now these things have a dramatic impact. So what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that if you, if even though I'm aware that, that the housing market is tight and that means that it is even still uh, with the higher interest rates at this moment, because they're still not that high. If you're, if you're thinking, oh my God, you know, I heard Mike say 5%, that's devastating. And, you know, compared to this lesser numbers, I'm not going to disagree because I know it affects everyone. I know that. But that's still not too bad. But let me tell you, as the interest rates get higher and higher, it's going to become more and more problematic. And you've heard me say before that every time interest rates go up a full percentage point, you lose 30% of the bottom tier of borrowers, meaning people who are buying starter first-time homes on the lower end of the spectrum, just want to buy their first house, you know, little little two-bedroom rambler, you know. Those people, every time interest rates go up based on their income and their capacity, and, and what I described, by the way, is capacity. That's those ratios of income to payment ratio overlaid by debt to income ratio as a grand total overall. That's your capacity to make payments as per the underwriting standards related to banks giving you financing. That's what that is. Well, holy crap, does that make a big difference? I mean, wow. But here's the funny part. Those people who can't qualify for a house they dream of home ownership, they still need a place to live, don't they? And so what are they going to do? They're going to have to rent. And because they're going to rent, they're going to be out there competing for rental properties, a lease, a monthly payment or monthly rent payment, just like they were trying to compete to buy a house. Now, how will those, how will those rents, be set. How are market rents going to be set? Well, obviously, it's based on environment. It's a bit like like housing. You know, why is my house worth this much? Well, because the comparables in the area have sold, and apparently, people are willing to pay this amount of money. Bear in mind that as interest rates go up, we absolutely, in fact, it's likely, uh, most likely, that we're going to see some real stagnation. In the increasing values of homes, meaning we're not going to probably see homes increase and escalate in value, uh, in the same way that we have seen in the past, uh, or at least recent, recent past. I mean, we've really seen how the housing market bounce back, at least on the lower end. Well, why is that? Because interest rates were, were down and more people were working more competition for the same house and actually for the first time, we're actually starting to see that that uh, real wages as related to inflation are actually beginning to creep up. So all of that makes for a wonderful housing market when you're a seller. When you're a buyer, it makes it tough to buy. That's why you're going to put a freaking house up for sale. And you got 16 offers in two days if it's a $200,000 on the lower end of the spectrum. Well, what happens when an investor buys that home and has to pay 5 or 6% and they need to break even and they need their rents to cover the mortgage payment that they have to pay as a landlord on that investment property? Is that going to affect rents? Of course it is. Is it also, that is rents, going to be affected by people's capacity to pay? Sure it will. Which will win out? Well, that's just the yin and yang of, of, of economics. I mean, but in any event, that's what's taking place. So what am I really trying to say? I'm saying this is a really good time to buy investment property, even though you may feel like you're paying too much for it. Because whatever you think you're paying too much, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 more than you think it, it's really worth. And that frustrates you. Well, let me tell you what, the interest rates will more than make up for that. When the interest rates go up, guess what? <laughs> Who cares about 20,000 bucks? Because when the interest rates go up, you more than made up for it. Just in that monthly, increased monthly payment because of the increased interest rates. So you have to really stop and think. Is this a good time or? Oh, I got Mike on the phone. He's going to correct me. I'll bet you (laughs) here. Let me take this call. This is Mike Overson. Mike, go right ahead. Oops. Mike, go right ahead. Joe, you want to help me? I'm, I'm having trouble here, apparently. Yeah, I think we
1: went to the wrong line.
2: Hang on a all second. All right, can you put them on? <laughs> well, I'm going to hear. Hey, Mike. Yeah, there we are. All right, sorry about that. Go ahead, Mike. No, it's all good. This no, is Mike so... from Leader One. He is a mortgage broker.
3: Yep. So very, very good commentary on the subprime. So one, one thing I wanted to mention too is, you know, subprime can be chate- uh, characterized by a couple different things: um, lower credit scores. Might be subprime, and I don't know if uh, I had a little gap there where I could listen to your show there. But I don't know if you also spoke about um, being able to verify your income uh, is another potential way that you might get put into the subprime bucket because
2: you can't source all the funds that are coming into your account, essentially, right?
3: Yeah. So, so let's say you know there's a lot of you know quote unquote subprime borrowers that have middle to high 700 credit scores, Um, but being that they're self-employed, being that they take advantage of the tax. Code and are able to expense a lot of things. What they show on their tax returns at the end of the year is not enough for them to qualify for the house that they want to buy.
2: Uh-huh. So, so, so in other that, words, in other words, uh, make it look like you make no money, so you pay no taxes as a self-employed business person, right? Exactly. Right.
3: <laughs> so you're being smart on that end of things. The problem is, is that on the mortgage side of things, um, if you're talking about the the A paper stuff versus subprime, the A paper is going to make you verify your amount of income. Well, the amount of income that you basically can be used for qualifying for that is basically what you pay taxes on
2: your adjusted
3: gross. Yeah. So if you're not paying, if you're not, if you're not showing much adjusted gross income at the end of the year, now you might not show enough income in order to qualify for that a paper loan. So even though you have a very excellent credit score and money down, just because you can't, document enough income to be used, that might kick you into subprime as well.
2: Mike, are there alternative formulas that are created specifically for that type of a borrower?
3: Yeah. So some of the, you know, quote unquote subprime, if you will, it's, it's, it's actually called non-QM these days because subprime went away and, you know, and obviously the government doesn't want subprime uh, to be used anymore. So they call it non-QM, but I mean, it's really subprime. So they have some alternative documentation loans out there where self-employed borrowers can supply bank statements. Uh, to a lender and then they can use the amount of deposits going into those business bank statements as income verification. Um, again, it's not the A paper stuff so you're gonna get hit on your interest rate and you might have to take an, an adjustable rate loan because that might be the only thing available for, t- for your particular situation but you can still get, you know, you can still get a loan so you, that you can buy that house, it just might not look as pretty as if you could fit into the a paper box.
2: So, in other words, folks, what what Mike has just said is they're looking at the real money that comes into your into your bank account, as opposed to the formulas that I described earlier. Uh, however, so so when you think about this, if you're if you're a salaried person or you're a wage earner, you're not understanding this. When a, when a business owner takes depreciation it goes right against their taxable income, and your adjusted gross is your taxable income. So let's say you made $100,000 in monies that would have flown through to you, but because you had $20,000 in depreciation because of your equipment, or maybe the building that you operate out of, you can put that $20,000 directly against your income, and now your adjusted gross becomes $80,000, and then they're sourcing to see how much money actually went through your bank account that you use to operate your life. Is that correct, Mike?
3: Yes. Now depreciation, the nice thing about depreciation it's, it's pretty much just a paper loss. So on the A paper side you can actually add back in depreciation, but any other expenses you have that you can't, you know, legal expenses. Uh you know, if you uh maybe are a contractor and you gotta pay out employees, you know, that's an expense that would go against your business income and all that stuff. So depreciation can actually get added back in, but all the other expenses that come along with running a business cannot.
2: Absolutely. And and so and they're also kind of assuming that in some instances, they'll look at the financials of the business and businesses will carry an amount of profit or retained earnings right to the end of the year or their fiscal year. And then they'll spend all that money on equipment. And and everybody knows the reason they're doing that is they could keep the money, but then they get hit with tax liability. So what the heck, we might as well just go buy some some new stuff. And they're kind of taking into account that that's a strategy as a business owner. Are they not, Mike?
3: Yes, that's correct. Very good.
2: Time. And all this, by the way, folks, is to say that if you're self-employed and you walk into your mortgage broker's office and you tell them that you're self-employed and they roll their eyes, you now have an idea as to why. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so here, so
3: here's what I, here's what I recommend to self-employed people if you're if you're planning on buying. So let's say let's say you know you're going to be buying a house next year and you have an idea of what price range you want to qualify for. Um, I do a lot of planning this time of year with self-employed people to say, okay, hey, here's where you're sitting at right now based on your last two years' tax return. If you want to fit in the A paper bucket, you know, and get interest rates on 30-year fix where you see advertised today, here's basically what you have to show on your 2018 taxes in order to qualify for the amount you want to qualify for. Then it's up to them. Do they want to show that amount of income and pay the income taxes on it and get into that house where they can get the 30-year fix at the rates that you see today, or is it not worth it to you to basically pay the taxes and then you fit into the other bucket here. And you know, here's the type of options that you're looking at then, you know, on that side of the scale. And at least you have the information then so you can make a decision of do I show the income or do I not?
2: Wow. Mike, we got to take a break here. Can I, can I hold you over to the other side of the break so we can talk about assumptions of, of mortgages and what is and isn't possible and how all that might work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, we're going to take a break here, Joe. We will be right back talking about mortgage interest rates as it relates to to buying a home. But not only that, the value of considering investment real estate right now. We'll be right back.
1: Home Rental Systems has been helping homeowners in the Twin Cities metro area realize their property investment's full potential. At Home Rental Systems, we will take away
0: all the hassles from renting your home. We have a proven home rental system for renting and managing single-family homes, townhomes, and condominiums, and will attain the highest monthly rent possible.
1: Go to homerentalsystems.com or call now, 612-701-4375.
4: So my questions are, Todd, do I just let the bank liquidate my business? Do I need to consider things like foreclosure, short sale?
0: if you are a current business owner or thinking about starting a business, what business structure is best for you? Sole proprietorship, corporation, or LLC? Most people pay a couple hundred dollars to the Secretary of State to start a business, and off they go, as opposed to doing it right and contracting an attorney to help them. Why is this? Pretty simple. Funds are low, and attorneys are expensive. Problem is, if you're structured improperly or do not manage the agenda and record the changes correctly, you could have destroyed nearly all legal protections your business would have on otherwise been afforded. Don't just mindlessly start a business and put you and your family in legal jeopardy. If you have an existing business or would like to start your business right in the first place, an attorney from the law firm of Daniels and keyboard will meet with you to determine the best business structure for your business, handle the filings and will meet with you ongoing once a month for a year. After basic startup and filing fees, the cost to you is as little as $176 a month. Pretty awesome deal. Go to CYA 21.com to get the details. That's CYA all
2: right, everybody. This stuff, this financing stuff, it affects everybody. I mean, everybody, and so, and and will 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 in the future and affect housing values and the market and everything else. Mikey, still with us? Yep, I'm still here. All right, very good. So. So, you know, um, because interest rates are going up, because, uh, because rates are, are still pretty darn good, would it make sense to want to wanna get a loan and be conscious of if it might be assumable in the future to make my home sale in the future more attractive to someone because I have a lower interest rate on my mortgage? Would that be, would that be a strategy or does that really not work in the end result for most people?
5: Um,
3: you know, it really doesn't work for most people. Um, and here's why. So let's say uh, let's say you bought a house in 2012 and you did uh, an FHA loan on that house. So now conventional loans are not assumable. So if you did a conventional loan, you cannot, you know, a new buyer coming to buy your place cannot take over your loan or assume your loan. Do me a favor. Um, do me a,
2: Mike, do me a favor make the yep. distinction or definition between government sponsored loans, FHA, VA, USDA versus conventional financing.
3: Yep. So when, when any, basically any loan that would be insured by the government, so basically the PMI, if you will, would be, um, provided by the government would be, it's considered a government loan. So FHA, VA and the USDA loans are all considered government loans. Uh, The conventional loan is not because the mortgage insurance that's provided on those loans is just by private mortgage insurance companies that are out there. Um, So that's the distinction between the two. So really FHA, VA, USDA is one bucket. Conventional loans are in their own bucket. Okay. So now when we're talking about assumable loans, so FHA and VA, you can assume those loans as long as you qualify. So if you meet the qualifications for FHA, you can assume an FHA loan. If you meet the qualifications for a VA loan, you can assume a VA loan. So let's go back to my example here. So let's say you bought a house on a FHA loan back in 2012, your rate might be 3.25% on the third year fixed, right? Very attractive interest rate because they were at the lowest, you know, they had ever been in 2012. Right. So you bought that house for, let's say 200,000 back then. And now in 2018, that house could very well be worth 300,000. Cause that's how much the our market has rebounded. So now you sell your house for 300,000. And your loan balance that you can have on your current FHA loan is say 180000 at this point. So a buyer comes in and says, oh, you got an FHA loan. I want to assume that FHA loan that you have on your house so I can take advantage of that 3.25% interest rate you have. Seller says, great. Yeah, go ahead. So what happens is, is that buyer would take over the loan on that house where it's at today. So $180,000 balance. Well, you're buying the house for 300,000, so you got to make up the gap of 120 grand before you can take over that loan. So the biggest hurdle is where are you going to come up with the money to bridge the gap between the purchase price you're buying that home for and the remaining balance on the loan amount that's on the house with the previous uh owner.
2: Wow. Wow. So so what if I just go to my dad and say, "Hey dad, slip me 120k quick." How's that going to work?
3: Well, you know, if you can get <laughs> if you can get your dad to gift you the money so gift funds can be used um, to buy that so if you have that ability and your dad's willing to give you 120 grand for it you can certainly do that now borrowed funds are not allowed for that so if you're going to take a quote unquote loan from your dad that's not allowed if you're going to try to go get a secondary loan for the 120 grand so you can bridge that gap that's not going to be allowed so it's either got to come from your own pocket or it's got to come from retirement funds that you're going to liquidate, or it's got to come from uh, gift funds. From a bona,
2: a bona fide gift, right? Correct. A bona fide yep. gift. So there would have to be a little strategy in that to accomplish that it's doable, but it's not, it's not a slam dunk. It's not a straight up proposition, right?
3: Right, exactly. And it's, it's that, it's that down payment amount or that gap between the purchase price and the, in the remaining loan balance that basically, kills any sort of assumption type of scenario out there because it's usually a fairly big dollar amount right. um, and you just can't figure out how to get that much money so then that's why people just get their own purchase loan at current interest rates so they can put a lot less down.
2: Very good. And a VA loan, just for clarity's sake, folks, is a Veterans Administration loan. That's another government-insured loan. However, that requires that you be a veteran and supply a DD-214, so that's going to limit the number of borrowers who could even assume a VA loan unless they are, in fact, a veteran. Is that correct, Mike? Yep, that's correct. Very good. So listen, Mike, I sure do appreciate you taking the time to come on. I wish you were sitting here with me as a co-pilot, but uh, this is great information. And right from the horse's mouth, it is Mike Orson from Leader One. And uh, if you have any mortgage or finance questions or you want to work with somebody who's a professional, Mike is the guy. Thanks so much, Mike, for calling in. You bet. Thanks, Todd. All right. Bye-bye. So, folks, hey, listen, uh, these are the things that are relatable not only for, for buying a new home but also buying investment properties. But, you know, remember that that if you buy a property today, as I've said, although you may be paying a little bit more because your interest rate in hindsight will be low as compared with what it might be in the very near future, you more than make up for overpaying for that property because of that lower interest rate and you're more, more readily available to cash flow that property as a result. So rather than waiting around, uh, you should really be out there looking right now. Now, having said that, are you going to be able to put 3.5% down on a property as an investment property and make it cash flow? No. In fact, there aren't even programs available for non owner occupied financing to do that. But a lot of people buy their first home as their first investment property, which is something that I absolutely advocate. However, bear in mind that if you purchase that home with so little money down, What that means is that your equity position is minimal. So equity position just simply means here's the value of the home. And as a result, you can well imagine the value of the home and the size of the home all determine market rents. Rents can be determined very easily. You can talk to anybody who's in tenant management, and they can tell you the area, the square footage, the type of home, and most likely they can tell you what you can expect to to receive in rent on that property. So there's there's market rents. So when I when I buy a property and I want to make the you know make it work, I generally need to have, and this is something you'll hear more than once on this show probably somewhere between 20 and 40% equity position. So the value of the home minus the outstanding loan that I have to service tells me how much equity I have in the home, simple stuff, right? Well, if if you have, you know, if you finance 97% of that property, 96.5 technically out of 3.5% down FHA loan, guess what? And no way those numbers are going to work. And if they do, it's shocking. And you better buy that property fast because market rents relative to cost must be really good. Nevertheless, you typically have to have a stronger equity position. So if you don't have, if you want to execute the strategy that I talk about often, the first home that you buy should be a property that you are going to, you're going to move out of, not roll the equity. Listen to what I've just said, because everybody, everybody, the only thing they ever think about is owning their single family home. Look, you're not going to create wealth buying a single family home. I know you all think it's the best investment you can ever make, and you're absolutely wrong about that. But an investment property might very well be one of the best investments you will ever make. So if you're going to buy the property with the intention of moving on and turning it into your first investment property, which I think is a great idea, then you have to recognize that you're going to have to be in it long enough that the value increases and as well market rents around you increase so that your margin of equity to loan, your loan to value has improved enough that you can make all those numbers work. We're going to take a break here. We'll be right back talking more about this. Let's take a break. He can lift a bus straight over his
1: head. He can fly around the world in seconds. And he has the power to regenerate entire limbs.
0: If you are a current business owner or thinking about starting a business, what business structure is best for you? Sole proprietorship, corporation, or LLC? Most people pay a couple hundred dollars to the Secretary of State to start a business, and off they go, as opposed to doing it right and contracting an attorney to help them. Why is this? Pretty simple. Funds are low, and attorneys are expensive. Problem is, if you're structured improperly or do not manage the agenda and record the changes correctly, you could have destroyed nearly all legal protections your business would have otherwise been afforded. Don't just mindlessly start a business and put you and your family in legal jeopardy. If you have an existing business or would like to start your business right in the first place, an attorney from the law firm of Daniels & Keyboard will meet with you to determine the best business structure for your business. Handle the filings and we'll meet with you ongoing once a month for a year. After basic startup and filing fees, the cost to you is as little as $176 a month. Pretty awesome deal. Go to CYA21.com to get the details. That's CYA21.
5: nibo.com
2: Welcome back everybody. All right. So, I mean, look, you know I love real estate as an investment. I I believe it can be an incredible component to your overall strategy. Uh, I know it scares the crap out of most people, but remember, if you know what you're doing, it's like everything else, you know? Um, The things that threaten and scare everyone else don't when you understand it, but that presupposes that you're taking the time to educate yourself and learn about the, that uh, type of investing. And then when you do, then you have a, a leg up on everybody else. And, and then realistically, for all the people who don't understand it, that just makes it that much easier for those of us who do, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, for, for somebody who says, yeah, I want to do that. I mean, that's, that sounds like a great strategy. Um, <clears throat> or, or, or here, better yet, a lost opportunity if you don't. Uh, I I talk a lot about, you know, spend less than you earn, put it to work in leveraged investments and all of that. And I also talk about, Frequently, that the idea that you're going to pick a financial advisor who's going to do better than the market, and that's how you're going to get farther ahead, that's a ter—that's a terrible idea. That's a—that's a fallacy, and it's a terrible idea. Which means, realistically, you come to grips with the fact that in your investment portfolio, your real rate of return over time is probably going to be in the six to eight percent range. And if you do better than that, then you're knocking it out of the park. But hey, look, man, for most people, if you look at it that way, then based on the amount of money that they have to put away, meaning that, meaning here's how much lifestyle I want, because the less lifestyle you're willing to have, probably the more money you're going to have to invest. Well, there's certainly, uh, uh, what, a reasonableness that must be applied to I'm willing to give some things up and some things I'm not, you know, I, you still have to enjoy life today. So it's not like I'm going to live a Spartan life for the next 40 years, have absolute, be miserable, do nothing. And then I'm going to make up for it when I'm what, 65, 70 years old. That's for most people that's not really an attractive idea. So it's always going to be a a measured approach to how much lifestyle am I willing to give up to free up this amount of money to put away to have uh, an even potentially better life or at least stability and security down the road. That's what it is. And for a lot of people the answer is I don't have much money to do that with regardless. Whatever it is that you have to work with, here's the other component that you must be conscious of. Whatever that number is that you have to put away, it is increased or diminished by the mistakes or the good decisions that you make along the way. And I've talked about this frequently, you know. Uh, the cost of an education that can't be monetized, meaning I got a great education, I spent 50000 a 100000 whatever amount for it, and here's the income that I make, and I never stop to think, wow, I'm spending this much money on my education, and this is all I'm going to earn, and this is the lifestyle that I've just agreed to in by virtue of doing that. I don't think most people put a lot of thought into that. And that's a problem. So that's a mistake. <laughs> um, the next one is that they they get married and they and they spend way too much money on a wedding because maybe their parents can't help them, maybe they gotta finance it and they've got grandiose dreams and now they get stuck with that. How about how about a wedding ring? How about a twenty thousand dollar wedding ring when you're earning forty five, fifty thousand dollars a year? That's <laughs> that's another Pot- potential colossal mistake how about buying the first house and not taking advantage of vetting it as an investment property that will inevitably become an asset that you otherwise wouldn't have down the road and by that, By the way, an asset that is growing relative to inflation and potentially could have someone else paying for that growth so you're not paying for it and it becomes an owned asset to you and it didn't cost you any more than the initial money out of pocket when you first purchased it yourself for your own single family home. Can you see where that would be? In hindsight, if you could do it over again, what a great opportunity that would have been that many of you listening to this missed. So that's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, it's, it's, it's missed opportunities, lost opportunity cost. What was the cost to you not to take advantage of that? And did, was it wasn't even in your wheelhouse. Did you, do you know anybody who talks this way? you know, because, you know, eight out of 10 people don't even think in these terms. So how are you ever going to succeed if you don't even have this in your field of vision? So it is a great opportunity. But having said that, you know, most folks don't have first-time home buyers 20 to 40% to put down on a property. So, How are they going to buy it and then turn it into an investment property? Well, it presupposes that they're buying it to live and they're probably going to live there for at least a couple of years and maybe more like two to five years. Now, during that period of time, the value of the home will go up and your mortgage balance, assuming you're making your payments, is going to at least be staying the same or going down somewhat. So that over time garners you an equity position that might make the formula work. The other issue that you have to know, and the reason that most people fail with investment real estate, is because they don't consider all of the costs. And one of those costs is maintenance. Now, when people think of maintenance, it's like their car. They'll say, I'll do budgets with people. I do financial coaching with people. And and, and I'll, we'll go to vehicle maintenance. And they'll go, oh, you mean like oil changes? <laughs> and I say, no. Oil changes, yeah, 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 but that's minor. What about new tires? What about brake pads? What about tune-ups? What about number one service? Uh, that happens at, you know, 15 or 20,000 miles. And none of them even think about that stuff. Well, you got the same thing going with an investment property. And if you don't factor those things in here, you're going along thinking you're either cash flowing or breaking even. And then you have to take that money out of your pocket because those things that need to be fixed, you got to resurface the driveway. You got to seal the deck. You got to put in new flooring. You have to put on a new roof. You have to replace the air conditioning unit and all of these things that inevitably are going to happen, but you didn't have them factored in at all. And of course, then there's the lesser amounts which are just basic ongoing maintenance not major fixtures and major fixtures are going to happen over time but let's just talk about the maintenance well if you can't afford to make the numbers work because you don't have enough money to put down and if you factored maintenance into this that means that is to say hire a management company who would maintain the property for you cover all the service calls when the tenant you know uh, you know calls to complain about something broken and not working. They handle all that. They collect all the rents and all that. You pay a maintenance company to do that. Well, there's a fee to do that. But let's say if you put that fee in, the formula doesn't work anymore. Okay, so in the beginning, you could do that for a period of time. But remember something, you've got to figure that in eventually because if you do want to own a reasonable amount of real estate, three, five, 10 properties, If you've got a good job and a good profession that pays you well, you can't afford, you can't afford to do all this. So you're going to do it for a period of time, but you build in that cost right from the beginning so you know where you need to be in terms of equity and and market rents to payments so that at some point you can hire a management company and then walk away from the actual work of that. That is another strategy that would allow you to bootstrap and and, and start off and then go farther as you go along. And then you could have a scalable business. Let's take another break. Real estate business, that is. Let's take a break. We'll be right back talking about investment real estate and mortgage rates and why you should be considering purchasing investment real estate. We'll be right back.
1: Home Rental Systems has been helping homeowners in the Twin Cities metro area realize their property investment's full potential. At Home Rental Systems, we will take away all the hassles from renting
0: your home. We have a proven home rental system for renting and managing single-family homes, townhomes, and condominiums, and will attain the highest
1: monthly rent possible. Go to homerentalsystems.com or call now 612-701-4375.
2: She gave me the queen. <laughs> she gave me the king. Welcome back, folks. If you can't tell my love of ACDC is, uh, is uh, appreciated by Joe, my producer. Joe uh, has a love for ACDC as well. <laughs> so, so together we're dangerous. All right. So, you know, look, the, the, the benefits are enormous. And remember something, your goal with real estate is not to cash flow and support and increase your lifestyle. And, and this may be the most important point I can make because as I love to say when doing financial coaching and helping people manage their day by day money, the notion for most people that they would save money, not to buy anything just makes no sense at all. You mean, Todd, I'm going to go without things. I'm going to save up money. And I'm just gonna keep saving up money. I mean, you're not talking about like my four oh one K at work. You mean I'm just gonna keep doing that. I mean because I mean I'm I'm willing to you know, I'm willing to go without for a year or two so I can get the down payment for a boat. What if I die and I can't spend it? That's right. Then you know, then you 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 you, you, you don't get to take it with you and you and you die, so you gotta live for today because you could die tomorrow, right? And I mean, look, it truly what Joe brings up, it's it's what people wrestle with. But if you want if you want to succeed financially you're looking to own assets. And so an investment property and its cash flow is to build investment assets and continue to accelerate and buy more with the cash flow, not to buy yourself a freaking boat. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to my show and my world. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you are interested in purchasing real estate, getting yourself on track financially, give me a call. I'd
6: love to help. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health.